Let's all stand together. Jeremiah chapter 23, the hammer and the fire. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Our message this morning will consider these passages and these questions that God posed to call our attention to the power of the preaching of His Word. From the very beginning, we need to notice that these words are set in a context where God was rebuking uh, pastors, prophets, preachers, because they had turned away from the clear preaching of His Word. Uh, He did not leave us to wonder how He felt about that. And I must tell you today that I really don't think that We see any indication that God has changed his mind much after all these years. God did not like it when his spiritual leaders, his pastors, his prophets stopped proclaiming his word faithfully and truthfully. He still doesn't. Verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. You've scattered my flock. You've driven them away. You've not visited them. And behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. You'll see it right up front. The pastors that feed my people. Uh, The imagery of the pastor is linked to the word shepherd. In fact, whether it's in the Old Testament Hebrew or the New Testament Greek, uh, the word pastor is derived from the word for shepherd, shepherd. We'll see that in several passages, perhaps most famously in Acts chapter 20 and verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. This is Paul speaking to the elders at Ephesus. For I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. There it is. It is the verb form of the word shepherd or pastor. Feed, shepherd, pastor, the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter, not sparing the flock. Uh, Simon Peter uses that same imagery in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. It's the same word. Shepherd, pastor, the church of God. Shepherd, the church of God. Feed the church of God which is among you. Not by constraint, not because you have to, but willingly, because you want to. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you'll receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Uh, we got a 40-verse chapter in Jeremiah 23. We have uh, these other passages in Acts and in 1 Peter highlighting the role of the pastor in feeding the flock, preaching the truth of God's word. I want to tell you this morning, though, there are two sides to every pulpit. There's a side that I'm standing in this morning, 
And then there's the side that you're sitting in. There's a guy who stands behind the pulpit and preaches. And then there's the side of the people who listen. I've always liked what the evangelist Ron Dunn used to say. He said, uh, you know, it takes good listening to make good preaching. He said, I've had a lot of good sermons ruined by lousy listening. So uh, I want you all to make sure, he said, to do your part. And I echo that today. There are, unfortunately, today, as there were in Jeremiah's day, way, way too many people standing behind pulpits like this who have decided to not faithfully proclaim the Word of God. They've rejected it. They're not doing it. And there's a lot of people on the other side. Who have decided, unfortunately, that preaching is really irrelevant. It doesn't make any difference. Something we endure maybe out of obligation. But we've lost our sense, I'm afraid, in many cases of the importance of the Word of God faithfully proclaimed. The question that I can't answer for you is which came first in Jeremiah 23. And I, I looked intently for a lot of hints and you know, was it the fact that the, the people had rejected the word of God and stopped listening? And therefore, the prophets just got discouraged. And they said, well, you know, they're not listening to this. They're not coming anymore. Do I need to come up with something else? Was there some of that? Uh, well, they don't care. They're not going to listen. Why should I go to all the trouble of, of preaching to them? In fact, if you'll look in Jeremiah chapter 20, I don't have that for you in our PowerPoint, but you can read it later. You'll see a time when Jeremiah went through that exact expression. He told God, God, they're not listening to me. They're making fun of me, mocking me, persecuting me. I'm not going to preach to this people anymore. I'm done. And uh, unfortunately, that was not the end. Of, or fortunately, that was not the end of the story because Jeremiah said, but the word of God was a fire in my bones. And I grew weary with forbearing and I couldn't stay. And I, I can tell you that I can sympathize with what Jeremiah said. As hard as, it, hard as it is sometimes to preach God's word to God's people, it's even harder not to do it. If I don't turn it loose, it just burns inside of me, and I get tired of it. I'm, one of the reasons I look forward to getting up here on Sunday mornings, I've had to carry this around all week, and I'm ready to turn it loose. It's burned on me long enough. I want it to burn on somebody else. I understand. The word was in my heart like a fire, and it's in my bones, he said. And I grew weary with forbearing, and I couldn't say. So there was part of that. But was it also that the people, the people maybe saw the prophets who didn't much believe in the power of preaching the word of God anymore, or didn't want to tell them what God told them, or Maybe didn't even agree with it. Maybe didn't even believe it anymore. Did the people see then the prophets turn away? And so, of course, they turned away. So did the prophets quit because the people didn't want to see it, hear it anymore? Or did the people see that the prophets didn't want to proclaim it anymore? And so they just quit. I, there was probably some of both, maybe a whole lot of both. I can tell you this. Uh, we have those problems in America today. On both sides of the pulpit, I'm glad to be able to tell you that I believe as much today in the power of the preaching of the Word of God as I ever have. My belief in that has not diminished. 
And I'm here this morning, hopefully, to champion before you and to remind us all, not because I think that we are wholesale, that we as a church are wholesale rejecting the Word of God, but I know the kind of cultural pressure that is upon us, what we hear, what we see modeled before us. I know what's happening in American Christianity, and I know that it's a great time for us to be reminded about the power of God's Word when it's preached. Why we do what we do. Five times in this chapter, God says, behold, or look at this, see, some of your translations may have it, concerning these prophets who were not faithfully declaring his word. Now, this sets the context for what he's going to say when he asks those three rhetorical questions that we're going to say that so incredibly demonstrate for us the power of God's word when it's preached. But before we get there, we need to see what God had to say. Because when God says, behold, five times in a few verses like this, I think we need to look at what God wants us to see. Amen? Does that sound like a good plan? So here we go. Jeremiah 23 and verse 15. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of God, or the Lord of hosts, concerning the prophets, behold, there it is, I'll feed them wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. Wormwood was bitter, bitter, bitter. Gall was bitter, bitter, bitter bitter. So God said, I'm going to feed you bitterness and wash it down with more bitterness. Make it bitter. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken uh, the water of gall for, for, for from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophet that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say, still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. This is a, a, an easily understood problem that God has identified. He wants us to look at it. Look at these false prophets. Look at what they're doing. He says they're speaking out of their own lives, their own thoughts, their own experiences, their own opinions, their own beliefs. It is not my word that they are declaring unto you. Instead of calling people to repent, as the word of God so faithfully does, they were speaking peace and promising them uh, that they could have happiness, that they could enjoy happiness, though they were turning away from God. Now, God doesn't make it so that once we're saved, we can't sin. I wish he did, but he doesn't. But I'll tell you what he does do. Uh, he makes it so that we can't sin, we can't live in rebellion against him and his word then and enjoy the joy of our Christian faith. That's why the psalmist ended up having to pray, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It is a bitter, bitter, bitter experience when God's people then turn away from God's word and God's truth. And it was a bitter thing for those preachers who were telling them everything was going to be all right. Just telling them, uh, just go ahead. God's not going to judge you. You can enjoy God's peace. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that no chastening for the present seems to be, uh, seems to be uh, pleasant. It, it's not in the present tense. It, it's not something that we enjoy. But afterward, he said, it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness. You see, what these prophets, though, were offering was the peace of God without repentance. It wasn't going to work. God said, I'm sending bitterness. Bitterness. 
Second, behold, behold a whirlwind. Verse 19 of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It'll fall violently on the head of the wicked. The angler of the Lord will not turn back until he is executed and performed the thoughts of his heart in the latter days. You'll understand it perfectly. God was telling them that his judgment had already gone forth. The latter days that he speaks of in this passage is not speaking of the end times. It was the latter days of God's judgment. That is, the judgment had already begun. What God was telling them was that it's not always that we see God's chastening when it first starts. We may not see it. It may not be real clear to us that this is what happened. We may be wondering, well, I wonder if this is God's judgment or not. But afterward, in time, they would know that God had already begun judgment. Folks, if you can't look at the United States of America today and see God's judgment falling upon our nation, you need to look again. Because it is. It was no more popular for me to say that today than it was popular for Jeremiah to say it in his day. There's hundreds of prophets all over this country, hundreds of pulpits, hundreds of preachers that are telling us about how great things are. But our nation has turned away from God. They are going forth in sin and rebellion against God. The signs of it are everywhere. And isn't it interesting, by the way, that God calls his judgment a whirlwind? Hmm. Yeah, that's one of those things that make you go, hmm. It's a strange thing then when preachers would be standing before God's people, telling them everything is going to be fine. You just keep on going. God loves you. God loves you. Refusing to stand against her sin or calling to abandon it. Meanwhile, a massive whirlwind hurricane of God's judgment was pressing down upon them. And they didn't see it coming. Behold. The last three times that God says behold in this passage, he stacks up behind this expression or in front of it. Behold, I am against the prophet. Three times he says it. Verse 30, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. Uh, behold, use their tongues. <laughs> Don't miss that. Use their tongues uh, and say, he says. Uh, behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord. Behold, I am against them. Do tell these false dreams and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all. These were prophets, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, without prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. The prophets without prophets. God says three times, I am against them. They are not, God said, on my side. I am against them. I'm against them, God says, first of all, because they are stealing my word from people. Why? Because they are leading people not uh, to respect the authority of Scripture, but they're leading people to abandon the authority of Scripture. They're stealing God's words from people. Pushing them away. People who would believe it. But it's preachers themselves then. Who not only are turning away from God's word. But they're leading other people to do the same. God says it. I am against them. What else? 
they used their tongues. It was their thoughts, their words. But they were telling everybody that they were God's words when they weren't. There was an epidemic in Jeremiah's day. And there is an epidemic today of people running around this country saying, well, God said this. God told me this. God told me this. I'm going to tell you something. If you ever hear this preacher say, God told me, I'm going to have my finger pointing at a passage of scripture. And I'll show you, thus saith the Lord God. It's not going to be my ideas or my thoughts or my thinking. If it's my ideas or my thoughts or my thinking. It's what I believe, I'll say it. I believe. If it's something I think we need to do, I'll say, you know, I think this would be a good thing to do. If it's something I've prayed about and feel God's leadership about it, I'll say it that way. You'll not hear me say, God told me, because that takes on an authority I don't have a right to claim for myself outside of the teaching of the Word of God. Besides which, I've read Jeremiah 23, and God don't like it. When we wrap our ideas around a thus saith the Lord when it's nothing but my thoughts. God doesn't like that. I'm against them that prophesy false dreams. And while it's true that God spoke to his prophets in time past through the dreams, we'll see more about that in just a moment. But, you know, for now, I also notice there's a lot of people talking about their vision. Well, what kind of vision, Brother Rich, do you have for Faith Baptist Church? I, I tell you, I've got a great vision for our church. And I'm not ashamed to say it. You know what I want our church to be? I want our church to be a church that makes disciples of Jesus Christ. You know how we do that? By telling people how to get saved. Baptizing them after they are saved. And then teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's my vision for this church. Well, it's a good one, isn't it? Can I brag on it? I can brag on it because I didn't come up with it. That's what Jesus told us to do. What right do I have to um, come up with a substitute for that when he gave us such a clear vision of what churches are? What are we supposed to do? Make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. So three times then in these uh, limited passages, God said, I am against you. Just three verses, three times, I'm against you. I'm against these prophets. I'm against these prophets. Don't listen to them. Wow. But the good news of the passage is sandwiched in between all that bad news. And that's where our text comes in. Against such a dark background. So many people turning away from the word of God. So many people on both sides of the pulpit. The guys on one side who were supposed to be preaching it. The guys on the other side who were supposed to heed it and follow it. Both sides of them turning away from the word of God. And yet God just steps in. And he tells them, the prophet who has a dream, verse 28, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? Question number one. Is not my word like a fire? Question number two. Is my word not like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Question number three. You see, God was still speaking to and through his faithful prophets like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, a contemporary of Jeremiah. And God certainly spoke, as the writer of the book of Hebrews said, at various times and in various ways in time passed by the prophets. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, 
You see, before the Bible was completed, God had spokesmen, and sometimes they had dreams, and sometimes they had visions. Sometimes God spoke to them audibly. It was incredible the way God spoke through his prophets. Once the Bible was completed, God's revelation to mankind was completed. And it's our responsibility then to speak the word of God. How do we do that? By preaching the Bible. <laughs> That's how we do it. By teaching the Bible. How do we declare the word of God today? By preaching the Bible. And so we ask ourselves the question, does preaching matter? Is it still important? What happens when a God-called man stands in this place in the power of the Spirit and declares the Word of God? What happens? Does God still use it? Does it matter? Many are the voices in American Christianity today that say preaching is ineffective and unimportant. But the passages we have before us this morning in this great old book tell a different story. First, God asks a question, what is the chaff to the wheat? What is the chaff to the wheat? Well, in a way, we might respond, the chaff is a vital part because there, there wouldn't be any wheat without the chaff because the chaff, you see, is the leftover of the plant, the wheat plant. It was rooted down in the ground after it was planted there and grew up and grew, uh, puts up that shoot. And then after a while it heads out and, and, and then it begins to put on those grains of wheat. And, and they're, they're encased in that husk. And it is a violent process that they went through in Bible times. Today we've mechanized it. You have to look into the heart of one of those big old uh, $100,000 or a quarter million dollar, however much they are anymore, <laughs> combines. You have to look down in the heart to see that thing and what a violent process it is to separate the chaff from the wheat. In Bible times, they did it by hand as it was, it was beaten and beaten and then they'd winnow it. They'd pick up those forks and throw it up in the air and over time then a lot of effort put forth, painstaking effort finally, uh, the chaff would be blown away and the wheat would remain. And the wheat in this question, of course, is the precious truth of God's Word that somebody has drawn up then. God uh, puts it into the heart of one of His men. What do we do? Well, we, we draw it like the plant does, up out of the Word of God. We uh, suck it up out of the ground, if you were, because our roots are rooted deeply in the Word of God. And, and we bring that up, and it, and it comes into our hearts. And then we get up here on Sunday morning and just... I mean, just stomp it out. Why, why is preaching so violent? <laughs> uh, the old timers used to call it shucking the corn. That, that comes from this passage. They used to call it thrashing the grain. There's some reality in that. But at the end of the day, what is the preacher? It's the chaff. What do we do? We get up here and lay out what's precious. We get that husk and that stuff out of the way that would keep it from being palatable. And what's left then is that precious grain. Something that's visible. Something then that is nourishing. What is the chaff to the wheat? You see, the, the chaff uh, had a vital role to play, it did. 
But then once the wheat is put down, then the chaff gets out of the way. It's my job, it's any faithful God-called preacher's job to get before God's people and thrash it away so that what nourishes us can be revealed. It doesn't say that we're unimportant. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, and by we I'm talking about God-called preachers faithfully uh, thrashing out the grain week after week after week. God said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12, Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. What is the chaff to the grain? Then he says, it's not my word like a fire. Uh, God gave us a beautiful illustration of this and on the day of Pentecost when the wind and fire uh, descended upon them. There they were, 120 believers with the fire and then the wind blowing, wind and fire, wind and fire. You put those two together, you have a mighty force. The interesting thing about fire is that when fire is loose in the wild, whether it's in a forest or in, in the plains, uh, fire creates its own wind. It's called an updraft. It just has a, it, it feeds itself. <laughs> uh, what do you do with the fire out in the wild? Start it. Start it. A fire does the rest. It's not my word like a fire, God said. And look how quickly he goes and changes the metaphor from wheat, something precious and nourishing that feeds us and strengthens us to fire. And it's the same word. The same word of God that's preached can feed us, nourish us. And it can also be fire in us it burns and spreads and grows jeremiah had turned the fire loose in his day and the people had rejected and resisted it they got mad at him but it doesn't always work that way remember on the day of pentecost when simon peter got up and quoted from the prophet joel of the old testament he preached a sermon there on the day of pentecost and by the time that sermon was over there was three thousand people dripping all over the city of jerusalem People have been saved, baptized, and added to the church. The fire had begun. There were some key words, though, in Acts chapter 2 that we often overlook. When this was noised abroad, the Bible says. When this was noised abroad, what happened? They got a fire in their hearts, and it spread. It spread. So that not only does the word of God then, when it's preached, feed us, but the word of God then lights a fire in us that we can spread as we go around. I've said it for many years. I've said it here. I'll say it again today. If the day of Pentecost happened in a lot of churches in America today, it would die between here and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because Sunday after Sunday, God does great things here. But folks, we need that fire then to spread. Don't put it out. Don't stamp it out. Don't, it's not just come here and then get on with business. God lights a fire in us. And when he does, it spreads. Fire. Remember Luke 24, when Jesus met with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? That's a holy heartburn, we call it. 
Oh, God help us if we ever get to the place where we can come to church on Sunday and never feel that holy heart burn. It's not my word of fire. It's not my word of what is the chaff to the wheat. It's not my word the wheat then that feeds you. It's not my word the fire that burns. You need the fire of God's word burning in your hearts. Remember, just because it burned in Jeremiah's heart didn't mean it burned in the people's hearts. And a lot of folks who rejected it. Which brings us to the third question that God asked. It's not my word like a hammer. A hammer that crushes the rock. I went out some time ago, a few months ago, probably a year or two now. I went out to the quarry out on Highway 5 and No, God didn't tell me like he told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house and he'd speak to me. No, that's not what he said. I I was out at the quarry to get some rock from a driveway. Very simple plan. But it was amazing to watch those big chunk rocks go up that conveyor belt and meet the hammer, the crusher. I observed something. The hammer won. Over and over again. Every single time. The hammer always won. Why do you crush rock? Well, because it's too big to use like it is. A lot of times it just becomes an obstacle. That's all it's good for. You want to block something? Put a big old rock there. God's talking about taking that sledgehammer in his day and just busting it down, breaking it down. It's a funny thing. Under the relentless blows of the hammer, What once was an obstacle, a barrier, becomes a pathway. It's amazing how that happens. What a beautiful picture of how God works through his word. The preaching and teaching of his word. So that where once someone might have been just standing in the way, now God has broken them. You see, there might be times when... God has put the wheat out there and we're not, we're not eating. We're not interested. Time when the fire is burning, but we don't want it. Our hearts may be as hard as bricks. But God has a big, big hammer. And it's relentless. Rocks don't like hammers very much, I don't imagine. <laughs> if, the, if rocks had a liker... You and us, you and I as God's people, we do. We do have a liker. The hammer always wins. It may break off just a little bit at a time. But the rocks always yield to the hammer. I don't want you to miss this morning the import of these three magnificent descriptions how the word of God is as faithfully delivered. As it answers for us the question. Uh, does preaching matter? What does the preaching of the word do? Why has God called preachers? Why is he still sending out preachers to preach his word? Is it effective? Does it work? 
Well, the word of God, when it is preached, is that precious, beautiful wheat that nourishes us and strengthens us. It is that raging fire that burns in us and burns on us. It is a crushing, relentless hammer. What you need to see this morning is that it's the same word of God. It's the same word that feeds one will burn another and crush another. Same word. See, I don't have to decide whether y'all need to be fed or whether you need to be burned (laughs) or whether I need to come in here with a sledgehammer and just start knocking heads. I don't have to decide that. Well, isn't it up to you? Nope. You know what I have to do? I have to study the Word of God, seek the Word of God, get a message that I know is from Him and from His Word, and get up here and faithfully present it. I'm not going to soft pedal it, not going to fool around. We're just going to faithfully preach the Word of God. God the Holy Spirit knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. And so He knows when we need to be fed. And He prepares then a good nourishing meal for us. It's not always going to be Uh, It's not always going to be blackberry cobbler. It's not always going to be apple pie. It's not always going to be ice cream, milk toast. It's not going to be that sometimes. God gives us nourishing food. Things that we might not ever prepare for ourselves. If it was just left up to us. That's why Paul said, I preach to you the whole counsel of God. He provides that nourishing food. He knows what we need. He knows Just exactly how it's going to work in us. How important is that? Well, we know about physical food. We know about the metabolic process. We know about metabolism. We know how you eat food and how your body, marvelously made, converts that food into energy. And yes, it can store it very effectively as fat. Yes. Uh huh. Stored up energy. Your body then takes that food that you eat, the food that I eat, and converts it into energy. That lets you then go out and work. That lets you study. That enables you to walk, to run, to do all the things that you're doing in life. It keeps you going. You've got to have energy to do it. Physical food then transferred into energy. Jesus told us long ago, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Folk, we need spiritual nourishment. And you get that through preaching on Sunday morning. I'm going to probably say some things you don't like. I know that. Uh, Maybe it's that way all the time. But I'll tell you what, if you'll listen, not because I'm special, I'm not, but because the Word of God is special. And God then through the Holy Spirit takes it and He feeds you. And He gives you exactly what you need to equip you for what's to come. You face a clever adversary, the devil, and he's going to be dogging your steps every minute this week. You have friends, you have associates, you have people that you're going to encounter. They need something that you can't give them. They need a mighty touch from heaven. You don't have that, but I'll tell you who does. God in heaven does. And a part of what we do then when we come together on Sunday is we prepare ourselves. We get fed up. We are nourished and strengthened. Our spirits convert that into spiritual strength. 
You go without it for a while. You'll find yourself spiritually weak. It happens. It's chaff to the wheat. We just get up here and thrash it out. God then. God then makes it spiritually nutritious for us. God knows when we need that holy heart burn. He knows maybe when there's some things in us that needs to be burned up. He knows when we've grown resistant and we need that hammer. And God can take that and work on us. His same word, whatever way, whatever it is, it's nourishing us. It gives us that burning in our heart. And yes, when we need brokenness, the word of God brings that to us too. The hammer is relentless, and it always wins. Folks, that's either something that we're going to keep believing in or not. I wish I could believe in it enough for all of our church and for all of your children and your grandchildren, but I can't. I believe in it, but I, it's something we're either going to keep believing in or not. That preachers will continue to believe. That churches will continue to believe. Or we'll join the chorus of so many in this country who've turned away from it. Got a couple of passages of scripture we're going to close out with today. 1 Corinthians chapter 118. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God unto us which are saved, unto us which are saved, unto us which are saved. Did I tell you, unto us which are saved, unto us which are saved. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Let's not get that reversed. Because nothing good's going to come of it if we do. Let's not get it to where God's people think that preaching is foolishness. And to us which are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Is it important? Does it still work? Is it significant? Is God working through it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, sometimes it don't seem like I'm getting all that much out of it. Well, folks, if, if I'm not doing my job, then I'll take the responsibility for that. But a lot of times it comes down to that last part that the Word of God does. Rocks can't really jump off the conveyor belt they don't have legs to get up and run don't have feet to leave with unfortunately God's people do when God begins to work on us uh, we can resist we can run (laughs) but I'll remind you God covered that in this very chapter because he says am I not the God who is near just as well as I am the God that's far away I'm not just a I'm not just a far away God. I'm an up close God. Where are you going to run from me? Where are you going to run? The last verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3. For the time will come 
Paul told Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. I'm not going to tell you that those on the other side can't get a following. I'm not going to tell you that those prophets without profit can't get a crowd. They can. And in fact, they might be some of the biggest crowds uh, around anywhere. Uh, but I will tell you that God's word faithfully preached is precious. And it works on us. I will tell you then again what God told us. What is the chaff to the wheat? Is not my word a fire? Is not my word a rock of hammer that crushes the rocks? Let's stand together, please.